You know, some people think that a man cave with dead animals, framed sports jerseys on the wall, trophies around, that, that it's just a place for a man to escape and to neglect life and everything else. But instead, think of a man cave as like a, a spa, as, a, as stepping into a bubble bath for a man. Sports Center, take me away. And that's really, you know, when we think about it, that's really what a man cave is, and more importantly, this series is really all about. The man cave in this series is about a place of refuge. It's a place that we can process the pressure of life. It's a place that we can uh, process everyday events that are going on, uh, not with our wisdom and experience, but with the filter of God's word in our life. Last week, we talked about David, who was literally running for his life and unsure about what steps to take when he found safety hiding in the place called the Cave of Adullam. The word Adullam means refuge, and so for David, this cave was literally his place of refuge. And for you, running for your life might look something like this, like trying to do so much that you don't enjoy anything that you're doing. Sometimes you find yourself saying yes to everything, and then you're wondering, why am I saying yes to these things? You're driving fast, and you're eating in the car. You're always late, or you always need to leave early. You're running for your life because you don't understand that your time is your life. But here's the deal. You don't have to have a cave of any kind in order to find a place of refuge. There's a guy in Pittsburgh, he's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and he said this, the man cave is my space and my wife knows where to find me. In that void between my space and being found, those two sentences, you kind of see the complexity of what a man cave is. A man cave is about tiptoeing 10 feet away and then hiding in plain sight. And that brings me to where I want to talk to you about this morning. There's a man by the name of Moses, and Moses didn't have a man cave. Instead, Moses had a desert, he had sheep, he had a burning bush, but he didn't have a cave. Moses thought that he was hiding from God, but as far as God was concerned, Moses was hiding in plain sight. And so this morning, I want to take you on a little journey via the life of Moses. You know, Moses was reflecting on life, and it's his reflections that we're going to get some context for the decisions that we need to make about what we put into our schedule, what we say yes to, how we use our time, what we might remove from our schedule. It's his lessons that give us some information and wisdom on how to even make those decisions. So whether you have a man cave or a desert or you just have a chair, it doesn't really matter. We all need some place to reflect. So welcome to this week's Lesson from the Man Cave, A Place to Reflect. Joy Christian Center. Whoa, almost fell over there. Good morning. You got to be careful when you get older, you stand up too fast. That you're Anyway, uh, good morning. Welcome to Joy. We're glad that you're here today. We are, as Steph mentioned, on part two of our series, Lessons from the Man Cave. And a couple of things that I want to kind of lay some groundwork on before we jump into where we are headed this morning and a place to reflect. Uh, for If you weren't here last week, let me just catch you up a little bit. You heard a little bit about kind of some of the thoughts of the man cave and, and really where I want to go. And, and I, don't want, I don't want it to become so man cave centric that, that some of you may lose sight of it. Uh, we did a wedding yesterday. We were pri privileged to be able to help a couple and, and do a wedding and it was out on their property. And uh, they have a shed uh, that they... That that they built and the shed has a really nice little deck on it it's really pretty kind of a, a cute little thing and they call it her she shed how many of you have heard of a she shed before 
All right, some of you have. And, and, you know, I mean, guys have the man cave. Apparently women need she sheds. And that was her place for sewing, things like that. But whether you have a she shed, a man cave, a chair, whatever it is, I don't want you to just focus on that part of it. We're having a little bit of fun with it. But, but how many of you recognize that, first of all, men and women are different? Whoa. Amen. That was all the married people. <laughs> but how many of you know that sometimes men and men are different and women and women are different? We're all different, aren't we? I mean, really, when you get right down to it, we're all different. We, you know, we've come from different walks of life. We've had different experiences. We've had different things that have gone on, different influences into our life. And we're all different. But one thing that, that we can all share in is that we've all had conflict, we've all had stress, we've all had pressure. And just like David, who was running for his life, when he came to the cave of Adullam, sometimes we're running for our lives. There are things that are going on that are happening around us. I wrote down a couple of things that, 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 that you, that, uh, wow, that, 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 I'll say it like this. <laughs> wow, that was tough. I felt like Moses, a stutterer there. Like David, many of us are running for our lives. If you find yourself telling people continually, I might be 15 minutes late, then chances are you're running for your life. If you might find yourself saying quite often to people, I'm going to have to leave a few minutes early, chances are you're running for your life. If you might say, I'll be there, but I'm going to miss the first few minutes, chances are you're running for your life. If you say to them, well, I'm going to be there, but I'm going to sit in the back so that I can slip out a little bit early, then chances are you're running for your life. If you are feeling guilty because you're at work and you feel like you should be at home or you're at home and you feel guilty because you should feel like you should be doing something work-related or something like that, chances are you're running for your life. And whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're young, whether you're old, if you're running for your life, you're missing out on some things or you could be missing out on some things that God has for you. And so last week we talked a little bit about David who, after he was anointed to be king, found that King Saul was wanting to kill him. He was wanting to take his life. And so David found refuge in this place called the cave of Adullam, and again, Adullam means a place of refuge or, or refuge. And so David found this place, and he, began, he wrote some of the psalms from that place that are very telling as to what was going on in his life. Well, I want to take a little bit different approach this morning. I want to talk to you about a different Bible character, and this Bible character did not have a man cave. He had a desert the opposite of being confined, he was in a wide open space. And, 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 and in this desert, he had a lot of sheep. He also had a bush that burned. He didn't have a cave, but he had an experience with God. And that's really the point that I'm trying to make in this series is that we have points and times in our life that we really need to establish that connection with God and have him speak into our life. And this character's name is, is a man by the name of Moses, who I'm sure that many of you have heard of. You've heard of Moses, arguably the greatest leader in Israel's history. And there's some things that Moses can teach to us this morning if we're willing to learn the lesson. And, 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 and last week we talked about stress and pressure. And, and this morning we're going to talk about a perspective of life and the ability to reflect. And, and I am uh, quickly approaching my 58th birthday, which some people would say, well, that's really not that old. But as I like to say, this is as old as I've ever been before. So I don't know how to experience that. And the fact that I'm married to a woman who's actually beautiful. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> I love you, honey. Aw. And, uh, uh, somebody said to me one time, they looked at me, incredulously, incredulously asked me, wait a minute, actually Shelly's older than you are? 
And I said, yeah, just a little bit. And they're, they're like, oh, I thought well, you were way older than she is, you know. So anyway, uh, she wears the miles a lot better than I have, apparently. So regardless, there's a perspective of life that you get after having encountered life and encountered some of the pressure, stress, things that go on in life. There's a perspective that you have when you're a little bit older. And so this morning as I talk to you, if you're kind of in that age of like around 25, 30, 35, somewhere in there, uh, um, not if you wish you were there, but if you were in that, I really want you to pay close attention this morning because I'm going to help you out with some things. Because there are some things that we can learn from Moses if we're willing to learn the lesson that will help us and help you when you're 25 or 30, that'll help you when you become an old person like myself or older. And, and there's a perspective, a unique view that you can only get by living life. And so Moses gives us this perspective and he's going to write some things to us. But, but before I get there, Moses kind of lived four separate lives. If you, if you know the story of Moses, as he was born, his mother put him in a basket, put him in the Nile River because of pressure and, 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 and you know, the threat of death and things like that. So she put him in a basket in the Nile River. He's floating along, and uh, as, he, as he is, he's in the basket as uh, the daughter of Pharaoh picks him up, brings him to the, temp, or brings him to the, uh, the, the, the throne room, to the, to the house of Pharaoh. And there he is, man. He is living the best life in the palace. If Moses had a man cave, it had the latest and greatest and best. It had, you know, it had the perfect surround sound system. It had 4K, uh, uh, you know, flat screen. He had a portion in the garage. I mean, he had everything that he could ever dream for. And not only the stuff that gets, that gets given to the person that's in the palace, but he had information and access to strategies and education that a lot of people had. And so the first 40 years of his life were awesome. The first 40 years of his life were, were, were great. But then at about the age of 40, he witnesses a fight that's going on. And when he's witnessing the fight, he steps in and he gets involved in the fight and he ends up killing somebody. And his life suddenly takes a turn. And he runs for his life. He, he flees from the land of Egypt and he finds himself for 40 years in a desert. Not just any desert. He's in a desert tending sheep. Every day of his life, he wakes up in the morning. There was no question, hey, what are you going to do today? I'm watching sheep. Sun goes down at night. He goes home, hey, honey, what would you do today? I watched sheep. He got up the next morning. Hey, what are you, what, what's on the agenda today? Sheep watching. How was your day today? I watched sheep for 40 years, and that's what he did. He watched sheep, but he had an encounter with God. He saw a bush that was burning, and in that burning bush, he, 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 he encountered God, and God spoke to him, and God gave him a message that said, I want you to go to the land of Egypt, and I want you to bring freedom to my children there because I have a land for them that I want them to inhabit. It is a land that flows with milk and honey, and you're the one who's going to lead them there. And Moses, being the man of faith he was, he said, who, me? I can't do it. God, have you forgotten that I killed a person, that I, I'm running away from Egypt? Have you forgotten, besides that, that I don't speak very well? I have a tendency to stutter. I have a tendency to trip over my words. And, and besides that, who's going to listen to me? Who's going to listen to me? What am I supposed to say when I go into the land of Egypt and I tell the nation of Israel that I'm going to bring them out? What, what do I say? And God said, I want you to tell them, I am that I am sent you. I am sent you. 
And so imagine Moses. He goes to the land of, of Egypt. He stands before God's people. And he says, people of, of, of God, hear me because I'm going to bring you out of this land of Egypt. And we're going to journey across the desert and we're going to go to the land that flows with milk and honey. God's prepared a place for you. And I'm sure the people are like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's going to lead us? And Moses said, I am. Well, who's going to feed us in the desert? Remember, God said, I want you to tell them I am. And so, <laughs> so Moses says, well, <clears throat> I, I guess I am. You see, church, you need to understand something. God wants us to identify with him. And I, God wants, if you don't hear anything else this morning, please hear this. God's put something in you. There's a life that is in you. There is a purpose and a passion and a gift that's on the inside of you that he has placed into you. And he has placed it into you for a purpose. Here's Moses. Think about Moses. Moses had a past that included murder. He had a past that included failure. He had a, a, a physical disability that he stuttered and that he, that he couldn't always put his words and thoughts into the right frame. And, and, and I think maybe caused people to kind of scratch their heads just a little bit. He had a lot of reasons that God couldn't use him. And he, he was ready with his list. God, don't you remember it? God, all of these things that... He had in his list. And how many of you know you and I have a list many times too? We read the pages of the word of God and he says to us that we're more than conquerors. And we'll say, yeah, but what about my past? Yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about that? We approach God with the yeah, buts. Yeah, but. And here's Moses who <laughs> spends the first 40 years in the palace. Wonderful things. He, he spends the next 40 years of his life tending sheep. And then God appears to him, and at the greatest moment of his life, he now goes into the land of Egypt, and he leads the nation of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. The armies of Pharaoh are destroyed, and his fame is throughout all the land. And what does he get to do to enjoy all of that? He wanders for 40 years, leading a group of people who murmur and complain and are, are, are just cantankerous. They're just crumb dudgeons. They're just no fun at all. They get out there for a while, and, and now they're criticizing Moses and his leadership. Who they were wondering, like, oh, Moses, you're the, awesome, you're the most awesome leader. And now it's like, hey, we want to go back to Egypt because we're tired. We're afraid. We're getting tired of this same old food <clears throat> and the same old routine, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. And I think Moses is like, in fact, it says in the Bible, there were times that Moses was like, God, this stiff-necked generation, hard head, hard head. And there were other times that God was like, you know what, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. Had, and, uh, one person said, when, had, had God and Moses got to, gotten mad at the same day, there would not be a nation of Israel. Because there were times that Moses was like, oh, these stiff-necked people, I just can't stand them. And then God was like, easy, easy, easy. And there were times God said, I'll wipe them all out. I'll make a greater nation out of you, Moses. And Moses was like, whoa, God, wait just a second. If you do that, there's going to be other people who know about your promise and your, your, your promise to the nation of Israel, and they'll criticize you, and, and, and that won't work. And I, you know, <coughs> just makes me wonder sometimes about our lives. Makes me wonder sometimes. And so for 40 years, Moses now is wandering in the desert. They finally, it's the, the, they're finally at the edge of the promised land. They're finally there. And then God says to Moses, Moses, hate to tell you this, but you're not going into the promised land. How many of you can see that after 100, yeah, what? <laughs> after 120 years, how many of you can see that Moses has a perspective of life that maybe escapes other people? And that Moses has some things that he can teach to us and he can tell us about life that we should reflect on, that we should take some time to think about. 
And so in Psalm chapter 90, I want to read a couple of verses to you, but, but in Psalm chapter 90, and depending on which really smart scholar person that writes books that you read after, this was written either around his 80th year or his 120th year. And so he's giving us a perspective of life. And in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 1, <clears throat> he says this, <coughs> excuse me, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in, in all generations, in all generations. Lord, you've been our dwelling place. You've been our home. You've been our place of refuge. You've been the place that we have lived in to all generations. Now, not every generation recognized that. Not every generation lived in, in light of that. But he is saying, God, you've been our home, our refuge for every generation. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There's nobody else that's like you. You're God. From everlasting to everlasting, to every generation, from before until right now, God, you alone are God. And, and, and Moses is recognizing something that in the midst of every generation, and every generation has its peaks and its valleys. Every generation has its really good things and its really bad things. But regardless, with the good, with the bad, with the ups, with the downs, you know, you look at Israel's history, there were times it was really awesome and times that it wasn't so awesome. He said, regardless of what was going on in that present moment, God, you're God. And you have been God from everlasting, from the very beginning, before there were mountains and seas, and you're God today, and you will continually be God. You are the Alpha, and you are the Omega. And I think what Moses was saying is, God, from everlasting, one bookend, to everlasting, the other bookend, we see God. And right here is where I am. God, you're everlasting to everlasting, but somewhere in the middle is me and us, we, the nation of Israel. We're right here. He goes on in verse 4, and he says this. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. How many of you, and I think this is more for older people than younger people, but how many of you have ever said, man, it seems like time's going fast? Anybody? <laughs> Shelly and I joke about it because she'll say something, and, you know, well, that wasn't that long ago. I said, honey, there isn't anything that happened that was less than five years ago. I mean, everything was at least five years ago or more. And, and we all, man, it just seems like time is going so fast. And that's what Moses is saying here. Moses is saying, I've lived for 120 years and I've seen a lot of things happen. And here I am at 120 years and it feels like everything's moving so fast. But if it's moving fast for me, God, how fast is it moving for you? I bet that a thousand years seems like yesterday or a watch in the night. A watch in the night is a guard duty that was like three to four hours. He's saying, God, I bet time for you is like, a, uh, like three or four hours for a thousand years. It's how quickly life moves and how quickly it seems like it is. And that's the perspective that comes with age. It is the perspective that comes with experience. And so... So Moses is pausing in this, and he's thinking of from God's perspective. And if I could say something to you this morning about that, I, I have found in my life that when I try to view life with, from my perspective, it is limited and generally wrong. We do a lot of pre-marriage counseling in particular, and, and when we're talking with couples, we, we will say to them, you will find that in your married life there will be seasons and there will be times that will be wonderful and awesome and beautiful, and there will be times in your marriage that will probably stink. But if you will live through those times that are difficult and tough, 
and relish the times that are awesome. You will reach seasons of life that will bring great blessing, and you will be so glad that you stuck it out. You will be so glad. Somebody said this one time, and I've embraced it, that dots, you've heard the phrase connect the dots. Dots can only be connected when you look backwards. You can't connect the dots from where you are, and you can't connect the dots looking forward. It can only be, they can only be connected by looking behind you and seeing the steps that were ordered by God. The Bible says that these signs will follow them that believe. And I think that sometimes those signs that follow us are we're looking back and we're seeing a perspective. We didn't know why that happened. We didn't understand why that went the way it did. And, but, but now we've come to a place that we can see that because we made that decision or because we went through that or because something happened, now we're in this position that now it makes sense. And so when I tend to view life through my lens and through my understanding, I sometimes get in trouble. I need to learn to view life from the perspective that God has, that he is God of everything for every generation, the ups and the downs. He is the bookend. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And as I put my, my view of life in God's view, then things began to make sense and change. And that's what Moses is trying to give to us this morning in Psalm chapter 90. He has spent 120 years living in in, in all kinds of different drastic situations. And we arrive at verse 12, and verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days. Everybody say teach us. What he's about to tell us is something that doesn't come naturally to us. We need help with this. We need to be taught this. We need help understanding this. And so he says, so teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. Maybe we could say it like this. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Because if we understand that our days are numbered, we will apply our hearts to wisdom. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered. I've said this many times from this platform. Life, or (laughs) the mortality rate on planet Earth has been running at 100% for a long time. Your days are limited. You have no guarantees of tomorrow. We have a tendency not to live this way. We have a tendency to not think this way, which is why we need somebody to teach us this. Because we have a tendency to live life, and again, this is something, a perspective that is lost on younger people, because particularly younger people feel like we will always have tomorrow, we will always have our parents, or we will always have our kids, or we will always have this, we will always have that. But those that are on the other, I call it the front nine of life and the back nine of life, those of us that are on the back nine of life, we've lived through some things and we've found that we don't always have our parents with us. We don't always have these people with us. We don't always have these things in our life. And so Moses is saying, Lord, teach us. Help us to understand that our days are limited. Because if I understand that, then I'm going to bring, it'll bring wisdom to my heart and bring wisdom to my life about how I live life, about how I view life, and about how I live out the plan of God for my life. We, as I mentioned, we do uh, uh, some marriage counseling and, and uh, pre-marriage counseling in particular, and, and, and over the years, we've had some awesome brides. And, and, and a lot of these brides in particular, it's not always, but, but many times it is the bride who understands that the days are limited. 
feels like the groom understands the days are numbered, but the guys, are, the women, no, I'm sorry, the women understand that the days are limited, that there's the date that is out there that is on the calendar, that's the date that we are going to say, I do. And if we're going to say, I do, we need a place, we need food, we need this, we need that. And they work backwards, and they use every day to carry out that one thing. That on that day, everything is prepared and everything is ready because that is the day that they're going to be married. And so they live their life with the understanding that there's a deadline. Maybe some of you have heard that, heard this. There would not be a lot of things that would get done if it were not for the deadline. Amen? Because we want to put off. We want to wait. Some of you maybe would understand this. When you have a final exam, you have a test. You understand that the instructor has said to you that on May 12th at 3 o'clock, you're going to have this final exam. And you live or should live your life with the understanding that my days are numbered. My days, I, I don't have a lot of time to be able to study, to prepare, and to get ready for this. And because of that, I need to make decisions based in line with what I know is on my horizon. I know that there's going to be a time that the test is given. And that's why some of you have to cram for the test. <laughs> because why? You didn't use your time wisely. You didn't use your days wisely. And Moses is telling us something here. He's saying, teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. Help us to understand that we don't have unlimited time, and because our time is limit, we, limited, we need to limit how we use our time. And it gives us a perspective. How many of you are familiar with a phrase, I think all of you probably are, the bucket list? How many of you have a bucket list? Anyone? On mine is don't kick it. One of my favorite things ever in life that I thought was hilarious. My teacher didn't. But for some reason, somebody said, you know, write, write what you want people to say at your funeral. And so I wrote down, look, he's moving. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, all right. I mean, anyway, ask a stupid question, get a stupid answer. I don't care what people live, live that way. So, so, so the bucket list, the bucket list, the bucket list is a list that we write down and we say, I want to do these things before I'm too old to do them. I want to do these things before I'm physically unable to do them. I have a challenge with Pat Fleming. He and I decided that when we're 100 years old, we're going skydiving. The problem is we need to write that down because I don't know if either one of us will remember that we actually said that we were going to do that. But, you know, we'll hike up our Depends real tight and we'll go for skydiving. So, anyway, <laughs> was that out loud? Sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. So, again, he says, teach us to number our Meanwhile, back at the sermon. So, so, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so... When it comes to reflections and thinking about life, it's good for us at times to consider and to contemplate and to reflect on the brevity of life. In, in these verses, Moses makes the statement. He says that, that our life is like grass in the morning that withers by the end of the day. Seemingly in one day, our life has gone from vibrant and alive to decreasing. And he says we need to live our life with the understanding that we don't always have forever, that we, don't always, that we aren't always guaranteed. You've heard stories like this where people have said when they've reached the end of their life that most people don't say, I wish I would have spent more time at work. 
but instead I wish I would have spent time investing in my family, investing in my kids, investing in relationships, investing in things that really matter. And so I want to give you a couple of lessons, if you will, from the man cave to help you understand something uh, and maybe give you a couple of very practical things to live through or, or, or to ask yourself. Because if we don't live like our days are numbered and if we, all, if we consider that, that I'll always have another day, another moment, another time, those kinds of things, then there's a chance that we'll miss out on the truly important things of life. And so here's the lesson from the man cave. There's some things I want you to reflect on. First of all this, our time is limited, and so we need to limit how we spend our time. Because our time is limited, we need to limit how we spend our time. That's what we say yes to, what we say no to, those kinds of things. And so, teach us to live as if our days are numbered, because if they're numbered, what happens? We will gain a heart of wisdom and insight. So here's, what's to, here, here's the beginning of contemplation. You can ask yourself this question, what should, we take, what should we take out of our life? In light of the limited time that I have, what am I going to say no to? I'm busy. I'm on a mission. I got stuff to do. I've got places to go. I can't waste the time that I have, so what am I going to say no to? What am I going to take out of my life? What is the priority of my life? What should the priority be given where I am right now and what's going on? I heard Andy Stanley say this that really blessed me and, and, and it helps me because a lot of times as Christians, we, we stress and fight over what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing. And certainly there is a right and a wrong. There's a good and there's an evil. But he asked this question. He, he made this statement because there are things that we can do technically that are okay, that aren't necessarily sin. They're right to do. But he said, ask this question instead. What's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do right now? Not what's right or wrong, but what's wise. Not what can I get away with, but what's the wise thing to do. How many of you know you're going to end up somewhere in life? Anyone? We're all going to end up somewhere in life, aren't we? Do you realize this morning you can go there on purpose? You can end up where you're going to end up on purpose rather than just sort of, you know, drifting through life from circumstance and struggle to circumstance and struggle. You can go there on purpose. So... Consider your days. What is it that you want to accomplish? What is it that you sense God has breathed into your life, into your spirit, into your heart? What is the passion and the gift of your life? Those are things to reflect on, and those are things to consider. If you're a believer here this morning, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you live your life with the knowledge that Jesus Christ died for you, that he shed precious blood for you, and you believed uh, uh, that he died and that he rose again, and you've confessed him as Lord, and you're born again, there's a difference in your life. And there's a difference with how you should live your life because the Bible says that you're not your own, that you've been purchased with a price, and that somebody else lays claim to your destiny. Scripture tells us in the book of Ephesians, that God has a plan for you before the foundations of the world. That's in Ephesians 2.10. We don't have the scripture up there for you. But, but in Ephesians 2.10, it says that God's given you a plan. He's give, he, he has a plan for you from before the foundations of the world. And the moment that you were given birth to and that you were born and you breathed your first, first breath, I think God was in heaven going, woohoo! He's alive! They're here! I've been waiting and waiting and waiting until they get here, and I've got this awesome plan for their life. And so we're to live in light of that. 
And in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, there's a scripture, and I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. It gives it a little bit of a different breath or life. And it says, as it echoes, I think, beautifully what Moses said. Verse 15 says, be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Don't just live dictated to by the happenstance of life and the circumstance of life and what's the crowd doing, what's everybody else doing. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. If you understand that your days are numbered, that your days are limited, then that is the first step in gaining a heart of wisdom. What do I say yes to? What do I say no to? Where do I invest the time that I have? How do I spend the time that I have? What do I put into the time that I have? And what do I take out of the time that I have? And, and, and that is the beginning of wisdom. So as we're reflecting on this, the temptation is for us to run for our life. The temptation for us is to run and fill our life and to cram our life with so much stuff that we don't enjoy any of the stuff that we have. And perhaps you reach a stage and point in life where you're saying, why am I doing all this? What's the purpose? What's the use? Why? Why? I don't want us to find that place of life. And so, last week I ended with this thought. I end with the thought, really, of, of, of this, that when we're running for a life, we're, we're running for a life because of fear. We're afraid of some things. And I want to expand that and give you some other things to reflect on this week, to think about this week, because this will help you in determining how do we live and how do we determine the days and the time that we, uh, or how do we determine what we put into the time and days that we have. We're running for a life many times because we're afraid. And this is a couple of the things that we're afraid of. We're afraid that if we don't run for our life, that we're not going to make it. And here's what I mean by that, and here's what I'm going to ask you to reflect on. What's the it that you're running after? There are a lot of people, and I'm sure you've heard this as well as I have, there are many people who have reached the end of their life that found out that the it wasn't what they thought the it would be. And they, at that point of life, would recognize, I have wasted so much of my life. I've chased, chased, I've chased the wrong it. So what's the it? I'm afraid I won't make it. Well, you need to determine. You need to find out, what is the it that I want to arrive at at the end of my life? Other people say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to fall behind. Well, what does that mean? What are you, are, what are you afraid that you're going to fall behind? Are you afraid that you're going to fall behind other people? Are you afraid that you're going to fall behind what we might say are the heathens or the people that aren't born again, that haven't made Jesus the Lord of their life? Are we afraid that we're going to fall behind others? Are we afraid that we're not going to keep up with the Joneses? Hopefully your life is more than keeping up with the Kardashians. What is it that we're trying to keep up with? Or are we trying to keep up with the call and plan and purpose of God for our life? We have a destiny to fulfill. We have a life to live. We have a call of God on our heart. We're afraid that we're going to end up poor. This drives the fear of a lot of people. I'm afraid that I won't have enough, that I'm going to be poor. Well, you need to define what poor is. Because I, I would guarantee, I bet this morning, that there are people who, who are sitting here today and say, if I just had another $10,000 a year, everything would be awesome. 
everything would be wonderful. If I just had another $5,000, if I was just making another 2 or $3 a year, or, or an hour, I'm sorry, if I was just making another couple, couple bucks an hour, that would be awesome. But, but you're sitting here today thinking that, and, and, and today you're making $5,000 more than you were five years ago, and you were thinking five years ago, if I just had another $5,000, everything would be okay. You need to define what's poor. You need to define the standards of your life. So here's Moses giving us this perspective of life. He's lived for about 120 years. He's seen a lot of ups and downs, good and bad. And he's recognized that from everlasting to everlasting, God is God. And God is in control. And God has given us his one and only life to live. And that we need to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. And he finishes this chapter in verse 12. And he says this. Or verse 17, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Let the beauty of our God be on us. And establish, notice this, the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You know, church, there's something beautiful in reaching the end of your life and being able to say that God's blessed the work of my hands. That I've submitted my way to God's way. That I've submitted my life to God's life. That I've submitted my plan to his plan. Rather than living out my plan and asking God to bless my ideas and fix things that I screwed up, I've just submitted my way to his. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to ask you to think about a couple of things. What is, what is the it that perhaps you're chasing? What is the fear of falling behind? What does that look like? How is it that God has put in place to call on your life? He's given you a gift and a passion to a purpose. And in that purpose, are we applying our hearts to wisdom? My greatest concern is that any of us would reach the end of our life and realize that everything that we were living for was wrong, that we pursued the wrong it, that we pursued the wrong life, direction, or passion. So I want you just to take a moment, just a, a, a few seconds this morning, and ponder the path, ponder the steps of your feet today. Particularly those of you that are on the front nine of life, the back, the, 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 the man, you are in the, the, the prime of life. You're laying out a course. Lord, teach us to number our days. Help us to apply our hearts to wisdom. Because, Lord, we know that you've got a plan. You've got a purpose and a destiny. You've designed each and every one of us. And, Lord, it's in knowing Christ, it's in making him the, the savior of our life that we take that first step. And so if you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you've never been born again. The Apostle Paul wrote that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. And if you're here today and you've never taken that step, you've never, in a sense, exercised faith or stepped across that line to surrender your life and your steps and your way to the Lord, I, I want to tell you this morning that first step is so easy. It is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I would love to lead you in a confession and in a prayer. 
If you're here today and you've never made Jesus your Savior and you want to, would you just raise your hand? I want to lead you in a prayer today. Everyone else, heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Nobody looking around. Just, just, just consider these things this morning. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you want to today, would you just slip your hand up real high? Anyone at all? Praise God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for this congregation of men and women. Lord, I ask you to help us this week in our place of refuge, in our place of quietness. Help us to reflect on the brevity of life. Help us to reflect on the days that you've given us. And help us to apply our hearts to wisdom. And we thank you for that today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Joy Christian Center.